Hello and welcome to RT Radio 1's The Rolling Wave podcast with me, Aoife Nick Cormick. In this episode, we're marking the 10th anniversary of Reilach Records, a traditional and folk music label based in County Clare, which was founded by musician Jack Talty in 2011. Since then, Reilach has released numerous albums featuring musicians like Tony McMahon, Noel Hill, Salog Nichianovoin, Aidan Connolly, Ensemble Eru and more. The label describes itself as an artist-led label and I'll be talking to Jack Talty about that idea and about the ethos of Reilach Records shortly. We'll also be profiling three of the musicians featured on the label, Salog Nichianowain, Aidan Connolly and Geraldine Cotter, as well as talking to art director Maris Gunning about the feel and look of the albums, which is a very important part of Reilach's identity. And Toner Quinn, editor of the Journal of Music, will be joining us as well. But to start, music from the concertina master Noel Hill from his album released by Reilach Records, The Irish Concertina 3, live in New York. This is The Hollybush and Pigtown. So Jack, tell me, uh, Reilach Records is 10 years old this year, uh, founded in 2011. What was your aim or your vision when founding Reilach back then? Yeah, well, it's it's hard to imagine it's 10 years, Aoife, but back then it was just an opportunity, I suppose, to um, put my experience as an engineer and as a musician and all the different facets that, are, that go into making an album, just putting that together, I suppose, in a way that could reflect the kind of music and musicians that I... I was into at the time you know there was no great plan it was essentially a website a hobby um just to work with great people and and make albums that I that I that, that I really was interested in at the time and before we move on the word Reilach what does that mean or where does it come from well that's an old townland in Lissacasey where I'm from it's a very small townland and it's where my grandmother grew up she was born there it's a little cottage um essentially in a place called Decamade, which is in the, the, the village of Lissicasey. So it very loosely uh, translates as the pool of the rays of light. So it's just, you know, it's a, it's a name that I often heard as a child in our, our household at home. So I just thought it was a nice way of kind of connecting with that. Mm. You you describe on the website, the, the label is described as artist led. What does that mean? Well, I suppose it's artist led in the sense that uh, Morris Gunning and I are practitioners, you know, uh, we were essentially musicians and Morris is a great designer, photographer, filmmaker. So I suppose we're we're not coming at it from the perspective of just music business or music industry. So it's very much led by people who are practitioners themselves. But it also means as well that it's led by the people who are making the album. So it's, I suppose it's, it's essentially not a top-down process. It's a collaborative process where 
artists you know they can make the albums on their own terms but I suppose they also have the opportunity then to draw on whatever experience that we have and as well to reflect on the the ethos that we have as a label so I sense in that sense it's it's a combination of us being practitioners and also being very sympathetic to how musicians work and how they want to represent themselves and focus on their music. And and that ethos that you talk about there, how would you describe that ethos in terms of the music itself? Well, I'm a great fan of, you know, the classic recordings that we all know. And I suppose anybody with an interest in, interest in production, never mind traditional music, would always have a curiosity about how those great classic recordings were made and how you could go about, uh, I suppose, recreating some of that magic. And so that's always been something I've been very interested in because I suppose often production can be invariably seen as something you do to impose a certain aesthetic on the music of somebody else. But what I've been always interested in is how can you take music that's already great? You know, it's it's already very well developed and the musician is, is, is central to that. But how can you record it and represent it in a way that mirrors what I hear in, in the classic recordings, you know, from from 30, 40 years ago? Now, that's not to say that the era of great recording is gone. Of course, it's not. There's absolutely fantastic music around now. But there are certain albums that pop out in my mind as really great examples of capturing a certain energy um, and, and that's I suppose what has been to the forefront of my ambition with the with the label. And which which albums are you thinking of when you think of those ones? Oh so I can definitely the, the first that comes to my mind is that great album that Frankie Gavin and Paul Brock and Charlie Lennon made almost to Joe Cooley you know that the, the musical qualities there are are a given you know just excellent musicianship great repertoire but it's the way that that's captured as well in in recording um another example is i'm, I'm just a, a huge fan of the the irish concertina one uh noel hill solo debut solo album i just think the way that that was captured and again we're talking about the, the vibe or the feel of the music like it's not just it's not it's not just about the triplets or the notes or the i suppose that the, the the sound quality it's about all those combined um and it's just just making a recording project work in a way where it's capable of collecting all of those various ingredients i think that's that's essentially what the journey has been for us You know, the recording studio, the sort of basic concept of it is is quite, um, well, it can be quite a daunting place to go into and record. And then when you're trying to capture feel or vibe or all those things that you're talking about, that's a great challenge, isn't it? In taking uh, a music which is predominantly maybe by the musicians you're recording, they're playing live and then coming in and capturing the essence of that in a, in a recording studio. Absolutely. Uh, it, it completely is. And I think there are a couple of parts to it um, if you're hoping to make an environment more conducive to the, the kind of environments that we play in and feel best in and, and feel that we play best in. Uh, so some of it is just the actual acoustic environment that you're in. So designing a room in a certain way that it feels nice to play in. 
um, and as well as just just creating a relaxed environment so the studio is seen as somewhere that is there really to serve your ambitions and not in any way to kind of I suppose it's not it's not a microscope to catch anybody out so I think when you when you present it in that terms that the studio is an opportunity it's not somewhere to I suppose expose whatever insecurities people have it's there as an opportunity and I suppose beyond the design of it or the environment in in a physical sense I suppose a lot of it is to do with the kind of atmosphere that you create and the kind of um, you know what it feels like to be in there and the the relationship that you have between the people in the studio um, so it's, it's so it's conducive to feeling like you can play your best as well so it's not just about the physical element it's about just the I suppose the, the approach that you have with people and making people feel like they can play at their best you know so it's a combination of many things you know it, it's not it's not a simple solution but I suppose uh, it helps that I'm a musician it helps that I have a lot of the same concerns um, and worries that any musician has when they go to make an album so I think it's a combination of many many factors. Hmm. Um, looking through your very impressive back catalogue, and there's some fantastic records there. And um, but there, but there are one or two group recordings with uh, fiddle and, and things like that. But mo- mostly the focus is on solo or the solo instrumentalist. Is that what you see as being at the core of of the music? Um, one way to answer that is, yeah, I, I do see it as the core of the music. Um, it's an element of the music that I think should never be lost. Um, and I, I, I wouldn't like to see it being in any way overshadowed by other types of Irish traditional music. But I wouldn't say exclusively so. You know, um, it's also important to me with the label that there is room to reflect on other ways of playing Irish traditional music. Uh, I don't see that as a conflict. I don't see that in any way as a collision of different worlds or anything like that. I just see it as an opportunity to reflect the kind of practices that are out there. So yes, the solo tradition is really important to me. I love the idea that someone like Aidan Connolly can go and sit down for a few hours and make a great solo album. And it's all about him and his journey, his repertoire, his approach to playing music. That's really important. And I think if I felt that solo performance was in any way underrepresented or in danger, then I suppose I, I might reflect that in future albums. But no, it's 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 a mixture of all sorts. You know, we also have ensemble music there. We have, you know, like you mentioned, the fiddle trio. So I think it's important to reflect um, as many parts of the tradition as possible. on it's definitely fair to say that you've built um, a reputation for Raylock that people trust that what will come from the label will be worth listening to that that relationship of trust between the listener and the label that's kind of crucial isn't it for building the type of thing that you want to build it absolutely is because that's what it's about for me Um, obviously the music is central but you know what's really important is the community of listeners that we have out there who just like you say they respond really well it's like it's like a community um 
is, that's what I really like about it. It doesn't feel like a business. It doesn't feel like an entrepreneurial exercise at all. So, and we do hear a lot from the people who support our music. So what's really nice is that somebody who may have heard Ensemble Rue or something like that at a concert have found their way into Shane Mulcrone, for example, because they've had a pathway that has led, they were able to connect the dots and say, okay, well, I'll give this a go and vice versa as well. You know, somebody who may be a big Tony McMahon or Noel Hill fan will take a chance on other artists as well on the label. And really that's what it's about. Um, it's about being able to reflect your own interests in a way that can communicate to other people. And it's really nice to hear that because it's 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 one way of connecting with a very wide community of listeners all across the globe, really. And it's just nice to think that there still is a platform for creating music like this, uh, because we I know we hear a lot about the how precarious it is to try and fund albums and get your money back and all that. But what's really reassuring for me is that there are there's this cohort out there who will support it. Um, and it feels very organic and very musical, actually. It doesn't feel like the, the kind of hardcore music business side of things that we hear a lot about when we when we hear about labels. The album as a, as a piece of work, as a sequence of tracks, you know, put together with, you know, deliberately with intention, that, that has huge value, doesn't it, as a, as a piece of work? It really does. And it's really central to, to how we think about it as well, because, you know, album tracks have a flow. There, the album is an important story for the, the musician who has made it. It's not just a collection of tunes that you throw together. Um, and sometimes that, that, you know, sometimes that track progression is really natural. Sometimes it's very obvious what the first track should be. Sometimes it's very obvious what the last should be. And then within that, there's a lot of room for interpretation. But still, I suppose that goes back to our desire to not just respond to whatever trends that are out there, but, you know, to stand firm and really do what we think is the best thing for the albums and for the artists and the, the label into the future. Is there much funding, Jack, available for a record label like Rayloch? Or how do you manage sort of day to day? Is it based on each project individually or, or how does how do you manage? Yeah, it is based on uh, it, it, project by project. Um, you know, the, the Arts Council have a funding stream for people who want to make albums. Uh, but really, like as a record label, you can only apply to fund one album a year through that stream, you know. So, you know, that's that's limited and, and, and rightfully so. That's open to all musicians. Um, so, you know, you, you can really only, and if you're lucky and if you're successful, uh, you can get one album funded per year. Um, there isn't, of course, there's other strategic funding options open to arts organisations, but the record label is generally excluded from that kind of funding stream um, because I think in Ireland we still view the label as a business model you know it's sometimes it's underappreciated the kind of the curatorial role that a label can have you know like a really great festival you know the the, the record label isn't just there to make profits on somebody else's music it's you know that's not our ethos at all it's about facilitating musical practice about you know, celebrating established musicians, but also giving maybe more emerging musicians uh, a potential to shine as well. So it's not, I, I think we have a very traditional view of the record label in Ireland that just sees it as a business. And for that reason, people may presume, well, if it's a business, why can't it just uh, sustain itself? But of course, the record label and certainly the way we like to approach it 
it's far more than a business. There's a lot more going on than than just business. It's about, and especially we're a not-for-profit. So, you know, any commission that's made goes into the next project and that's how it works. And so there's just another side to it that I think the present climate for funding doesn't really appreciate that we're doing what festivals do. We're also doing what a lot of resource organisations do. But there's a there's a tricky relationship there where it's not really understood how we operate uh, outside of strict business terms. Jack Talty, founder of Raelach Records there, and we'll come back to Jack a little bit later on in the programme. Salug Nihyanavoin was one of the first artists to record for Raelach Records, and since then she's made two albums for the label. She's a singer and she plays fiddle, piano and viola, which you'll hear her play shortly on this track from the album Rawa Raelach, Volume 1. Well, my mother is a classical violin player and my dad is a Shano singer and they both uh, sent the three of us, myself and my brother Owen, my sister Maureen, uh, they sent us to lessons for music from an early age and um, I, I play the traditional fiddle and I play classical piano and I also play traditional music on the piano but I, I sort of taught myself traditional music on the piano and we're, we all sing channels, but we didn't take lessons. We just kind of picked it up from listening to Dad. And also um, we kind of uh, taught ourselves songs from CDs and um, different recordings over the years. My dad was doing some research on Seamus Ennis's material that he collected in Orisanyach in Connemara, where he's from, and I was looking at the research with him and helping him a bit, and um, in uh, around 2010, himself and mom actually suggested that I record some of the songs and make a CD from them. And uh, that was the first CD I recorded, uh, the first album I recorded with uh, Raylock Records. I find it easy to work with Jack because he he understands the music he's 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 not only a sound engineer he's a, he's also a musician and if i tell him that i'm looking for a particular sound he knows exactly what i mean and i find it's it's just it's very easy to communicate with him and he's a very he's a very encouraging person to work with when you're recording if you're nervous about recording he makes it a lot easier and uh, there it doesn't feel like a very pressurized environment that's my experience of it anyway well uh, jack contacted me in the middle of the pandemic uh, during the first lockdown uh, when not much was happening and he told me he was thinking about putting this together and i thought well um i wonder what i'll do sort of thinking about it and um i'd already learned uh, a couple of uh, tunes that tom fodine tom Lilted the singer Tom Fawzin Tom Fawzin Tom from uh, Unspidzel, 
and I loved his version of uh, Collier's and the Duke of Leinster and um, those recordings are on the British Library website in the Terry Yarnell collection and um, I, I'd actually been sort of experimenting at home just for the fun of it already a few months before the pandemic I was uh, sort of lilting with harmonies and things just recording things and um, I thought maybe I'll do something with them and I'll try and get a bit of uh, singing and a bit of piano and and there's a very short song that I put before them that I learned years ago from Colm O'Quion which is on the first CD called Sao Humosh and um, I couldn't find any other versions of this song it has a really nice melody and um, couldn't find any more verses it actually only had two verses so maybe he couldn't remember the rest of them so I sort of put that song into the tunes then after that <laughs> Salog Nihanawan and Shin Lerian own CD Rawa Raylach Volume 1. Since its inception, the look and the feel of the Raylach Records albums has been very important. And Morris Gunning, an award winning photographer and documentary filmmaker, is the label's art director. With the label, we did want them to look cohesive in, in that sense that you would have an album or a shelf of albums and you would go oh there's the Raylock albums and that's they're not shouting off the shelf either but there was something about them and we looked at different sort of typefaces and they're very simple and very basic when you put them all together um, but maybe that's the hardest thing to get right is that simplicity to work well and not just look simple in its own design um, and we'd looked at other other record labels, um, maybe some jazz labels and some Smithsonian folkways and the older stuff like that and how they worked and that they were just effective. When you look at it, 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 it works. We were only starting with one at the beginning and then there was the second one and the third one and we thought we would get away from having a photograph of the musician compulsorily on the cover. But now that we look back over the maybe 10 or so albums over the last few years, quite a lot of them have the musician on the cover and that ended up because, say, with the uh, fiddle guys in Donegal, we were all up there recording, and we went out for an hour to get the shots in, and then we had this beautiful uh, portrait of the three of them up in the hills, and it just worked so well. It was like, well, we cannot not use this as the cover image. Mm. And there was a big chat about that. Do we not? Do we just use it inside? Do we save it for the poster? And then it was like, no, let's go with that one, and the same with Tony McMahon and Aidan Connolly's first album and his new one now, Portland Bow. Um, we don't have him on the cover, and we don't have a photograph of him at all in there. Um, so it was just, it's kind of evolving that way as, as we go along. But there's a lot of conversation on the phone over the last few years, but we do have an awful lot of um, chats about how to keep it working in a sort of a simple way, but an, an effective way. It's interesting because the CD or, or the album has many functions. It's a, it's a calling card. It can be a business card, I suppose, of sorts. Uh, it's promotional. And then it, it's a piece of work in itself, a sort of an artistic statement. Um, so, so what are you trying to achieve you know, bearing all that in mind, what are you trying to achieve with the cover of an album? Yeah, with each of the albums that we're designing, what we're trying to do is that it, when you have the album in your hand, there's even the tactileness to the paper, more so the more recent ones that we're, we're using the same printers all the time, so we specify the type of paper, so it has a feel in your hand, and when you open it up and you flip through the, through the pages and you have it on the desk and you listen to it or on the table, it looks, so hopefully it looks like what the music sounds like, that it's, it's not jarring, so that you're like, you have that album on and someone comes in and says, oh, who's that playing? And you can just point at the desk and that, that's it there. And it makes sense. And you don't have to break it down. 
So it's not that the music looks like what it sounds like, <laughs> but in a way that it doesn't jar with it, that there's, there's a connectivity there. So when I'm designing it, I have maybe early recordings of the, or early mixes of the uh, album. So I'm listening to those and, you know, getting a feel of it and then conversations with Jack and who, whoever the musician might be the, um, for that particular recording. And just finally, I mean, you mentioned the photographs and uh, as you say, there are photographs of some of the artists on uh, a few of the albums. But but landscape plays a big role in the the covers as well. I mean, where does where does your inspiration come from for some of those works? So uh, the inspiration for the, the landscape imagery comes from conversations with the musician themselves. Um, a lot of them are either from or have strong family connection to the west of Ireland. I'm living in West Clare myself. Um, so you just spend a lot of time outside and you think about how landscape affects your 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 mind and your your eyes in a way as you as you go about your day and then in the evening you're inside and you're you've got that memory of being outside and as you listen to the music and there is a connection there without getting into it too deep I suppose everyone has their own connection to memory and childhoods whether you're spending that in Milton Bay or you know up in Connemara or wherever it might be O'Reilly there from his album Duchess. Piano player Geraldine Cotter comes from a line of female piano players in County Clare. She was initially taught to play by her mother and she's played with many, many great musicians over the years. She's been involved in about 30 albums in her career so far and she has a solo album due out in the near future with Rayloch Records. One of her tracks, Paul Haypenny, featured on the recent compilation record Rauer Rayloch Volume 1. funny really uh, I suppose we, we could call it my Covid breakdown you know um, <laughs> you know we were all confined to our living rooms and we had nobody to be performing with and uh, so like I would sit down at the piano I play melodies and then I might morph into accompaniment and it kept going over and back and over and back and I began to hear possible motifs within the tunes and started improvising around the motifs of tunes and that's where that came from really I started um, just improvising around the the motifs that were within that uh, Paul Haifney and I sent it on to Jack and I said Jack now is this mad you know what do you think of this and he said well why don't you record it and I said well if you're I trust Jack completely you know and um, I tr- because we we're always on the same musical page I suppose and um, I, I thought, well, if it was good enough for Jack, I would. So actually, what was very funny was that it was set in that recording, 
then I didn't uh, play it anymore or didn't kind of do anything more with it and uh, last year we did a concert up in the Black Gate in Galway and Jack said why don't you play that tune and I said well I'm going to have to learn it you know? <laughs> because it was completely it was really improvisatory. What I like about the label really is that it is innovative and forward-looking and while also being respectful and mindful of tradition and it really I suppose reflects um, Jack's own music as well and the kind of music that he likes and the fact that he is forward-thinking as well and open to in, I suppose thinking innovatively in a kind of I suppose natural way rather than something that's forced and I also actually love the design aesthetic you know and the work of Morris Gunning you know it's very distinctive and contemporary which is you know unique I suppose for traditional for a traditional music label but really I'm so delighted to have been invited by Jack to be part of the Raylock family, I suppose you could call it, you know, and to be part of the, the catalogue of work really that has been curated by Jack because um, it is kind of um, special. I mean, I've been involved in over 30 albums over the years. And as you know, like for the most part, I've been playing digital pianos and I've been really lucky like to record with so many iconic musicians. But, and I've been in lots of different contexts in. Uh, studios and people's living rooms and kitchens and live recordings and so on. Um, but as you mentioned earlier, um, I didn't really get to play my own instrument like other musicians, you know. So when I got the opportunity 20 years ago for my first my first solo album, um, I decided I would play on my own piano, and uh, I did. And Jack actually did the same then this time. So. Uh, these are the only two occasions I got to play my own piano for recordings, really, you know, so it's it's a, a privilege, really, to get that opportunity. It's a, it's a unique thing for a piano player to get to play their own instrument, you know. Geraldine Cotter there and the tune Paul Haypenny. Well, our final musician profile tonight is Aidan Connolly and his album The Portland Bow has just been released by Raylach Records. So I'm from Farnham in Dublin. Uh, I began playing the fiddle when I was around eight uh, years of age. Um, my mother, uh, Eileen Moynihan, is from uh, Guinea is in the heart of Steve Lucre, so she, uh, she's a good whistle player. So she would have started me out and also her brother, my, my uncle Con Moynihan, is a very good fiddle player uh, living in Kerry and uh, I suppose between the two familial links at the start there was a bit of stimulus uh, and then I, I was uh, taking them to the classes in, in Craignahi in, uh, in Volunteer here, not, not too far from where I'm living and I, I would have learned uh, an awful lot and then coming across uh, various teachers there including Tomás McGillagodge um, 
and then I suppose just just listening to music and ma- mainly Lucra fiddle music I suppose over the years and then, and then branching out into kind of the, the, the Sligo music and stuff like that uh, going to festivals workshops Milton Malbe things like that so I suppose that's where it, the origin of it is Spain actually uh, a few years ago so that that's kind of a new angle on things uh, getting involved with the, the music over there um, and uh, yeah kind of branching out to, 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 to other stuff as well uh, in the last year or two well the, the pandemic's been extremely difficult for for, for everybody um, I suppose I've been fortunate that I've had, I suppose, a bit extra time to, to work on music. Uh, the, the fact that there was no, no outings or trips um, meant that, uh, I suppose, being able to, to, to work on things and learn, learn new, new music through the, through the internet mostly. Um, so I'm fortunate to have contacts in, in different places. We did some, some video calls and exchanges, uh, Spanish music for Irish music uh, mostly. Bartering, exactly, yeah. and. Uh, yeah, and just, I suppose listening and just having the time to listen more and practice more and I think then out of that uh, sort of concentrated period of practice uh, emerged to the this new project. first album then was was uh, be off uh, in 2016 so i would have got in touch with jack obviously i knew about ray look at that stage um and just floated the possibility that i was interested maybe in, in doing something couldn't have been more uh, supportive and, and uh, positive about it so that was the, the first project was be off in 2016. i suppose firstly from the sound point of view it's got to be top notch um you know i just i haven't uh, invested the time to to um, explore that side of things, um, like it's a big investment in terms of time and knowledge and uh, equipment to do that, and I sort of said to myself, well, like if, if the best of the best is is in Lissy Casey, so I don't need to uh, to worry about that side of things. I know it's going to be tasteful and and I know it's going to be high quality. What's going to be done? So that's uh, on the side side sound side of things. That's the thinking there, and then in other ways, then in terms of help with uh, I suppose publicity. Um, I suppose in, in an age where you know social media and things like that can be saturated with uh, with ads and you know videos and people promoting like lots of albums out there, it can be hard to like I, I wouldn't really be into into pushing too hard or, or kind of annoying people online, although it is necessary uh, I suppose to a point. But the fact that Rayluck has a sort of a, a machinery there in terms of you know mailing lists and it has a presence. Uh, I'm very comfortable just being able to ride that, uh, you know, go along with 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 their with their marketing. Um, it just helps me, and also in terms of just organising things like, uh, you know, press releases or, or interviews or any thing that just helps with with sales, you know. 
I think a label is more relevant than ever, to be honest with you. I think the idea was around around 15, 20 years ago that we need, didn't need labels anymore, that a musician could do everything themselves. But I think what we found out over the past decade and more is that musicians can't do everything themselves. And actually labels are at the heart of the musical ecosystem. Toner Quinn is a fiddle player and editor of the Journal of Music and he spoke to me about Reilach Records but also about the role of record labels in terms of traditional music today. A label is in contact with every part of the ecosystem, of the musical ecosystem. It's in contact with the distributors, with the media, with the artists and it's able to build a community around artists as well which has its own creative impact on artists. Obviously, a couple of decades ago, I probably would have bought into the idea that, you know, maybe the era of labels was over. But actually, I think that has changed radically. And we've published an awful lot about this in the Journal of Music. There's a writer called Gareth Murphy. And, you know, he's made a convincing case in several essays for that. Now, this is a new era for the label. And I think that's why Reiloch is so important. But the reality is we still don't have a full time traditional music label in Ireland. I think that's a pretty shocking situation. You know, there's been a lot of a lot of talk recently about streaming, but streaming has really taken off. Um, labels all over the world are benefiting from it and they're able to uh, invest back into new artists because of this new boom in streaming. I know when I say boom in streaming, people might think that's a bit odd, but actually labels are doing very well out of streaming and they're able to invest into new artists. And so we need labels here in Ireland, full-time labels that can benefit from this resurgence in streaming and then invest into the next generation. That's another role that labels can serve. Raylock, you know, has produced quite a number of classic recordings in the space of 10 years. I mean, it started off with Nafir Bullock, which was, which is already a modern classic, you know. But, you know, we've recently lost Tony McMahon. There's two recordings from Tony. On that label, there's a live recording from Noel Hill. You know, there's a lot of new artists there. There's Ensemble Aru, there's Aidan Connolly. Um, so there's a lot of really important uh, recordings coming through there. And it's a community and it's, um, it's a community of musicians. Um, it's got a sort of curatorial aspect to it, working creatively with artists and also working practically with artists. It's undervalued, I think, and it, I don't think we can overstate how important it is. Toner Quinn there. And Toner mentioned Tony McMahon, who made two albums for Reilach Records. He made Squealamach and Pukaja with Steve Cooney and his final recording, Farewell to Music. Yeah, well, that was a great experience. Uh, yeah, Squealamach and Pukaja was an album with Tony and Steve Cooney and then uh, Farewell to Music, which was an album entirely consisting of slow airs and I, I guess this goes back to again the, the difference between responding to what you think people need to hear and I suppose having a sense of just making something because you think it's a good idea and like an album of slow airs I think was sounded like a challenge to most people but at no stage did we ever um, consider not doing it it was great working with Tony like it's very hard to pick out standout memories from the, the Raylock journey I suppose because everything has been so diverse and it's all been a lot of fun and that's a, that's another part of it I suppose it's not just about turning up to work and making the albums it's about it's as much about the kind of the fun and socialization that we had as part of the album recordings you know that's always been very important but I remember being up in Tony's house 
when I suppose he listened to the album for the last time before it went to print. I suppose there'll be a level of anticipation with him and there was with me. I I really wanted him to be happy with it. And I just remember one time he, he just turned over to me and he said, you know what, this is the happiest I've ever been about me on record. So that felt great, you know. And that just represented how we felt at the time, I suppose, like any of us, when we listen back to albums, I'm sure we have different thoughts at different times, but it was very nice. It's just something that always sticks out in my memory of Tony being very pleased with how it all went. Um, And, you know, he had such an illustrious career, did so many things, had such a contribution to traditional music. But to hear that he was that pleased by, I suppose, his last recorded contribution to traditional music, I just thought was very very important for me to hear. And of course, personally for you, you mentioned that Rayloch isn't a full-time job. You you just started a new job in UCC and uh, tell me a little bit about that just before we finish. Uh, yeah, I, I just I just started as lecturer in Irish traditional music just in August, you know, so it's a very exciting time to be back at UCC because actually next year, 2022, celebrates the centenary of 100 years actually of Irish traditional music at UCC. So as you can imagine, we've a, a quite a, a diverse and and full on program for the year. So that just reflects back on the journey that traditional music has taken in UCC over the last 100 years and the influence that it has had when you look around and look at the landscape on who came from UCC, what students went through the place, as well as those who have taught in UCC. So it's quite a, an interesting history and it's, it's going to be a, a great year, I think. OK, well, look, the rolling wave will be coming back to the to the uh, music in UCC in the new year, and we'll look forward to that. But Jack Talty, congratulations. Uh, ten years and some fantastic music under your belt. And uh, we look forward to uh, seeing the Jardine Cotter's album and Ethan Ivrian's album and all those, Jerry Kiki and all those new recordings you mentioned. And good luck with the future of Rayloch Records. Thanks very much, Aoife. Thanks for listening to the Rolling Wave podcast. For rights reasons, the music tracks here are shorter than in the original broadcast. So if you'd like to hear the full versions, you can go to rte.ie forward slash radio one forward slash the rolling wave. And this programme was first broadcast on the 28th of November 2021. Good day and Hyder Ella, Guramila Mahagi, Agus Sloan.